Welcome. We hope you enjoy this recording from Christ City Church, based in Dublin, Ireland. For more podcasts and information on the church, please visit ChristCityChurch.ie. Thank you for listening. So reading for, again from Malachi 2, 17 through to verse, chapter 3, verse 5. You have wearied the Lord with your words. How have we wearied him, you ask? By saying, all who do evil are good in the eyes of the Lord, and he is pleased with them. Or, where is the God of justice? I will send my messenger who will prepare the way before me. Then suddenly, the Lord you are seeking will come to his temple. The messenger of the covenant he you desire will come, says the Lord Almighty. But who can endure the day of his coming? Who can stand when it appears? For he will be like a refiner's fire or a launderer's soap. He will sit as a refiner and purifier of silver. He will purify the Levites and refine them like gold and silver. Then the Lord will have men who will bring offerings in righteousness. And the offerings of Judah and Jerusalem will be acceptable to the Lord, as in days gone by, as in former years. So I will come to put you on trial. I will be quick to testify against sorcerers, adulterers and perjurers, against those who defraud laborers of their wages who oppress the widows and the fatherless and deprive the foreigners among you of justice. But do not fear me, says the Lord Almighty. I'll just pray for Matthew as he comes. Lord Jesus, thank you for your word. Ask you to bless Matthew as he shares from it and open our hearts to hear from you this morning. Amen. Good morning, church. It is good to be here. Uh, My name is Matthew. If I haven't met you before, it's really lovely to see you. I serve as the pastor at CCC Central and at Sing Street, um, so it's good, good to be here. It's not often I have to put up the, the stand, no, not at all, usually I'm putting the stand down because it's up at this height. Anyway, listen, we are in the, the book of Malachi, this is our, the fourth Sunday of a six-week series, and the book of Malachi was written to, uh, to reignite Israel's relationship with God. And so the context is that it's about 100 years after God's people had returned from exile to Jerusalem. It's set in the 6th century. Uh, The walls of Jerusalem, the temple had been rebuilt. And and God's people had expected God's Messiah to have come already in power and in glory. They'd expected him to restore their nation and to subdue their enemies. But yet this hasn't been the case. Things have become fairly mundane. Life has happened. Apathy has set in. Compromise has set in. And now God begins to speak to his people through Malachi with six disputes. And we're in the fourth of the sixth dispute today. So what it is, is an ancient prophecy, but it raises a really, really modern question. If you look at the question in verse 17, so if you've got a Bible, please keep keep it open. We're going to be in it. Look at the last question, verse 17, chapter 217. Where is the God of justice? And so today we are going to consider... Um, where, where there is injustice or in the face of injustice, we can be people of hope. And it's because God refuses to stay away. But we can, we're also sincerely warned because God refuses to look away. And we're going to hear a bit more about sin and judgment, um, as what Emma was saying earlier. But we're also going to be people who will be refined because God refuses to wipe us away. So we can be people of hope. Um, God refuses to stay away. So Israel were wrestling with the problem of evil. So it's an ancient prophecy, but it's actually a modern message, what, the problem of evil. Um, and Israel were looking around and they were growing cynical and they were growing skeptical towards God. And, and they were saying, 
um, uh, they were saying to one another, all who do evil uh, are good in the eyes of the Lord, and he is pleased with them. And then to other people, they're saying, well, where is this God of justice? And so they're saying, you know, as, as I look around, it seems to be only evil people who prosper. It's the people who cut corners. It's those who cheat. It's those who are without integrity. They are winning. And as I was writing this, I was on RTE News, and I don't even need to say any more, but, but what, what, what we're seeing around the world is that people who cut corners, people who cheat, those without integrity, they seem to win, they seem to get away with it, and it seems to be great for them. And it seems that God is either not there or else God simply doesn't care. And so some of the Israelites, some of God's people were saying that worse again, they were beginning to assume that God not, 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 not only let them away with how they were living, but God actually approved of how they were living. So if this is how it is, then it must be that God delights in evil people. Why else would they prosper? And so if you're sitting here today, and in your mind or in your heart, you're thinking, you know, I can't believe in a God of justice who would let all these things go on. And you know yourself, you don't have to look too far to find injustice in this world. You find it in this city, you find it in the country, you find it all over the world. I can't believe in a God of justice who would let all these things go on. And you know what, I, I get you. I understand. And I'm really glad you've decided to come along today. And I want to encourage you, you're not actually the first person to have thought that. You certainly will not be the last either. I know about the problem of evil. Um, in the third century before Christ, the Greek philosopher Epicurus uh, asked this question, and he's trying to disprove God. He asked this question. <clears throat> so if God was willing but not able, then he's not omnipotent. So he's not all-powerful. But if he's able but he's not willing, then he's malevolent. He's not all good. And is he neither able nor willing? And if that is the case, then he's not God at all. There's no such thing as God. So there's a problem of evil that Israel are wrestling with. And where are they going to find hope? What is God going to do about the problem of evil and injustice? It's a question we ask as well. You know, throughout the book of Malachi to this point, God's people had ignored God's words and it was leaving them further adrift from God's will. Chapter one, they neglected to love God. They refused to honor God. Chapter two, they'd been neglected to be faithful towards God and towards one another. And you know, if, if Israel had a right view of who God was, and what God was doing, they would never have grumbled to one another. You see, their focus, Israel's focus was actually upon other people and not God himself. They were grumbling to one another rather than grumbling to God. They were complaining directly to one another about God, and they weren't actually complaining to God directly. So, and their, their envy was the success of others. They were looking around and seeing how all these other people prospered, and they didn't. They were going through apathetic days. Everything was mundane and normal in their lives. And they were jealous or envious of the success of others. They were saying, all who do evil in the eyes of the Lord, um, are, are, all who do evil are good in the eyes of the Lord. And he's pleased with them. And so, you know, guys, if we're, if we're to be people of hope in the midst of worldly injustice, we need to get a right view of God and we need to have open lines of communication with God. You know, those who were, who were sinning and seemingly getting away with it were actually trading on God's patience and forbearance. You know, God's people who are observing this sin were confusing God's patience with God's approval. So they were being led away from God by their observations. It should come up on the screen. They were being led away from God by their observations, not toward God by his revelation. And so revelation is greater than observation. 
God's revelation of himself will always invite people to move toward him. And, and what is God's revelation here in Malachi 3? You take a look at your Bibles again. Malachi 3 verse 1. This is God's response. I will send my messenger who will prepare the way before me. Then suddenly the Lord you are seeking will come to his temple. The messenger of the covenant whom you desire will come, says the Lord Almighty. God is saying a messenger will come. And from the New Testament, we know this to be John the Baptist. And then it says, and suddenly the Lord you are seeking will come. God is saying to his people, I am coming. And so where there is injustice, we can have hope. We can be people of hope because we have a God who refuses to stay away from the problem of evil. You know, maybe you're, you're an unbeliever here today and we're really glad you came. Often unbelievers will say, well, I can't believe in a God who does nothing in the face of injustice. And to that, I'll also say me either. I agree as well. I can't believe in a God who does nothing in the face of injustice. But what we have here in the word of God is a, is a God who says, I will come. I will get involved. I will subject myself. I won't remain immune from suffering. We're going to hear a little bit later, but God knows what it is like to suffer at the hands of humanity. He knows the pain of injustice. I know God's very first response to the problem of evil is this. I will come. So, you know, the prophecy not only gives us hope because God refuses to stay away, but secondly... Oops, here we go. We are sincerely warned. Secondly, we are sincerely warned because God refuses to look away. You know, Israel were complaining that God hadn't yet showed up. God hadn't yet right the wrongs that he said he would. And Israel had spent more time focusing on their own observations around them rather than the revelation given to them. And the reality of this revelation is that to them, it is a warning. So not only does God refuse to stay away from injustice, but he also refuses to look away from it. And this is where the tables begin to turn. So the good news is that uh, God refuses to look away from evil and injustice. He says, I am coming. But the bad news is here in verse 2. Look at what he says. But who can endure the day of his coming? Who can stand when he appears? This is a God who cannot look away. And this is why in verse 5, verse 5 it says, So I will come to put you on trial I will be quick to testify against the sorcerers, adulterers, perjurers, against those who defraud laborers of their wages, who oppress the widows and the fatherless and deprive the foreigners among you of justice. But do not fear me, says the Lord Almighty. So Israel have been so preoccupied looking over the fence at their neighbors, observing injustice around them, they've actually neglected their own worship of God through their sorcery, through their adultery, through their perjury, through their corporate theft through social oppression, and through their all-around all lack of the fear of the Lord. And they're saying, God, come quickly. Please right the wrongs that everybody else are doing. And God is saying, I will come, and I am coming, but are you ready? Will you be able to stand whenever I do come? You know, every single one of us wants to see justice for all the evil committed by others, and rightly so. But every single one of us thinks that we deserve mercy whenever it comes to evil done by us. But I tell you this, we have a God who refuses to look away from all injustice. And so again, perhaps the unbeliever or the skeptic here is, is saying, well, I can't believe in a God who's willing to do something about all this injustice. If I believe in a God, he must be a God of love, a God who accepts us all as we are, a God who will not judge me. Do you know, God promises there is a day that is coming. And so what God is saying is, actually, I'm far, far more indignant 
of all the evil and the suffering than you are. I feel it far more than you do. You, you want to know where the God of justice is? And this is the wrath of God. This is the wrath of God. It's not the irritability of God. God isn't irritated. That's not why he comes. But this is the love of God toward injustice. So if God is all loving, and listen to this, if God is all loving, then he cannot let evil go unpunished. And so why does God make us wait for his judgment then? Because I feel this tension. It assumes actually that God's at, at our service, that God's on Matthew's timetable, God's on our timetable, God is bound to our expectations, and God is ultimately answerable to us. How arrogant of us. How arrogant of us. You know, God delays his judgment because he's acting in mercy. God wants to give his people time to repent. You know, in 2 Peter chapter 3, verse 9, it says, The Lord is not slow in keeping his promise, as some understand slowness. Instead, he is patient with you, not wanting anyone to perish, but instead everyone to come to repentance. <coughs> you know, this prophecy gives us hope because God refuses to stay away. And it gives us a warning that God refuses to look away. And finally, it gives us an, an assurance that we will be refined and it's because God refuses to wipe us away. Let me pick up in verse two. So I've read, read this, but who can endure the day of his coming? Who can stand when he appears? For we, he will be like a refiner's fire or a launderer's soap. He will sit as a refiner and purifier of silver. He will purify the Levites and refine them like gold and silver. Then the Lord will have men who will bring offerings in righteousness. And the offerings of Judah and Jerusalem will be acceptable to the Lord as in days gone by, as in former years. So guys, on the one hand, God's people were complaining about the absence of God. But yet on the other hand, they're going to find his presence really challenging. And the question we've got to ask ourselves is this. How does God end injustice without ending you and me? How does God end injustice without ending you and me? And the answer is in these verses. It's the refiner's fire and the launderer's soap. So in the process of refining metals, the raw metal ore is heated with fire until it melts. And as it melts, the impurities in the metal rises up to the top where it can then be skimmed off. And as it's skimmed off, it leaves the metal pure or even more refined. It becomes so brilliantly clean that the refiner could, could even see their face smeared in it. And then there's the launderer's soap. Now, the launderer's soap isn't uh, tax ev evasion or tax avoidance. This is uh, an, an alkali that's used to whiten cloth. So it's the washing and the bleaching of cloth that symbolizes the purifying process. So in the same way that we, we stick the dishcloth in the sink, we put a little bleach in it and we put a wee bit of water and then we leave it overnight. This is what this is. I'm assuming we, we all do that, yes? <laughs> all right, it's, it's just me. So God, God is promising that he is going to come. And whenever he comes, he's going to put them on trial. But why? <coughs> For what purpose? At the end of verse 3, he says, He will purify the Levites and refine them like gold and silver. Then, this is important, then, then the Lord will have men who will bring offerings and righteousness. And the offerings of Judah and Jerusalem will be acceptable to the Lord. Will be acceptable. So God's ultimate purpose, God's ultimate purpose in any kind of refining in our lives is worship. You know, the problem was that their offerings were coming from the wrong heart, the wrong motivations, the wrong attitudes. 
They were giving all the offerings, they were doing all the things, they were ticking all the boxes, but yet they were ignoring all the oppression, they were ignoring the injustice, they were ignoring the widows, they were ignoring those who the Lord was caring about. They had the wrong attitudes, wrong motivations, and the Lord is saying, I'm coming and I'm going to refine you so that the offerings you bring will be acceptable to the Lord. The refining process is going to do a deep work in the heart that they would no longer neglect what God truly cared for. So the purpose of God's activity in this passage is to refine his people so that they may present to the Lord offerings and righteousness. And you know, such, such refining is going to be painful. It's going to be painful. But it's going to be effective. You know, God allowed his people to experience pain and suffering. Allowed his people to experience frustrating afflictions so that they may turn back to him. And let me say this. The furnace of affliction is always for refinement. It's never for destruction. God never wants to destroy. So whenever he brings any kind of affliction on our lives, it's always for refinement that we may turn to him. And so as we have been purified by God, what we once found acceptable will no longer be. What we were once, or when we were once apathetic to sin, we will now guard our hearts against it. And where we see justice, or sorry, injustice in society, we're going to grieve all the more. Where we see injustice, we're, we're, we're going to realize that, wow, this, this should not be this way. As God refines us, our hearts become more like his. Our hearts break for the things that break his heart. So God's refinement in our lives will transform our hearts to become more like his. And this is what true and pure worship looks like. You know, true and pure worship isn't, isn't standing up and singing songs with the right expressions. But rather, the songs and the expressions are an overflow from the heart that's closely aligned with God's. And this is what we want to see God do in our lives as a church. Our hearts become more like his. And so what's God saying to us? He's saying the refining process that he promises does not destroy, but it will purify. I know our question to answer at the very start in 2.17, our question is, is this, where is the God of justice? It's going to come up on the screen, I hope. You know, 400 years later, this guy John the Baptist would come. He would be the messenger the Malachi speaks about. He would prepare the way. And out in the wilderness, as he is baptizing people for the forgiveness of their sins, he would look upon the one that Malachi speaks of when he says, then suddenly the Lord you're seeking will come. John the Baptist would say, look, the Lamb of God who takes away the sin of the world, the one whose sandals I am unworthy to untie. God said he would come. And in Jesus Christ, he came in the flesh. They expected Jesus to come in power. God's people expected Jesus to be riding on the clouds to bring perfect justice. But he doesn't. He doesn't come in the clouds with lightning. He comes in a manger. We celebrate this at Christmas. He doesn't come in power, but he comes in weakness. When this God of judgment came... He didn't come to bring judgment, but to bear judgment. He didn't come to bring judgment, but he came to bear judgment. He gave us hope by coming. He gave us a warning to repent and to turn from sin. We've heard that in, uh, in Emma and Neil's testimonies today. And he's given us, who know and love him, his Holy Spirit, who would refine us and purify our hearts. That's what he's done in Neil's life the last 20 years. This is what he's done in Emma's life in the last three years. He's given us an assurance, an assurance that he would not wipe us out but draw us to him. 
There's going to be a couple of verses that are going to come up on the screen. Probably the most famous verses in all of Scripture, John 3, 16 and 17. For God so loved the world that he gave his one and only Son, that whoever believes in him shall not perish, but have eternal life. And it doesn't finish there. For God did not send the Son into the world to condemn the world, but to save the world through him. So where is this God of justice? He was on the cross. He was laying down his life so he can justly show you and me mercy. You know, the God of justice experienced injustice at its worst. The sinless one went to the cross for the sinful ones so that we could go free. The God of justice can empathize with the most broken, with the most hurting in our world because he first stooped low for us. He knows what it's like. The God of justice knows what great injustice is like. The God of justice laid down his life so he can show you mercy. So I can't believe in a God who does nothing in the face of injustice, and neither can I. And today God is saying, I am a God who refuses to stay away. I'm a God who refuses to look away. And for you who are in Jesus, he says, I am a God who refuses to wipe you away. Amen. Amen. If you're able, will you stand with me as I pray? The band are going to come back up. We're going to sing one final song. Father, many of us, in fact, all of us wrestle with this problem of evil and suffering and injustice. And Lord, even as we go out of here, we're going to hear more about that. We're going to see more of that in the media and the news and our, among our friendships and our families. And Lord, injustice is rife. But I thank you for the promise that you refuse to stay away. I thank you for the promise that you refuse to look away. And I thank you for the promise that you have come. And I thank you that as a church we can stand on them promises today. In Jesus' name, amen.